So last year, the movie Endgame, we were just talking about Avengers. Uh, Simon, do you have a favorite Avenger? Who's your favorite sort of Avenger? You got a favorite? Don't have a favorite. Don't even care. Uh, so we were talking about Endgame uh, earlier. I took Owen. I think we even skipped school. Don't tell anyone. But I think we skipped school to go watch it after a little bit. And, man, it was amazing. He had seen, I think, Infinity War. But that was the only one. And he had seen just bits and pieces of some of the other movies. But he wanted to go see it. He was all into Thanos. My kids like the bad guys. And so we went to go see uh, Avengers, and man, it was incredible on the big screen. And apparently, a lot of people thought it was incredible, because after 21 movies sort of building up to it, uh, this thing made $2.797 billion worldwide, which is pretty staggering, And uh, if you think about it. And, uh, you know, here's some of the ones we have at our house. Uh, Iron Man, he is not my child's favorite. I think if Owen had a favorite, it might be he loves Black Panther, he loves, this is Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I think, I don't know why we got Hulk. I don't know who gave us Hulk. I've never heard him talk once about Hulk. I'm not even sure why Hulk is gray, by the way. Does that, like, I feel like Hulk is supposed to be green. Uh, if anybody knows why he's gray, talk to me later. Uh, but then there's all kinds of other ones in that sort of universe. I, I went and tried to round down. There's Captain America. That's your favorite, Carla. Um, Ant-Man. I liked Ant-Man. I thought Ant-Man was great. And you know what? I, I didn't realize it, but if there's no Ant-Man, then they can't beat Thanos because he's the one who figures out, I believe, time travel. Uh, he kind of cracks the code on that. And then there's Star-Lord and Gamora and Groot. And there's a rap song right now on YouTube where Groot, Baby Groot is rapping against Baby Yoda, and my kids think it's the greatest song in history. Uh, and there's uh, Rocket the Raccoon and Drax, and there's Captain Marvel, and there's Spider-Man, and then there's Thor. Does anybody like Thor? Nobody even mentioned Thor. Anybody like him? Alicia likes him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, is he attractive, Alicia? He is attractive. Um, okay. And, and then there's Doctor Strange. My kids love Doctor Strange. I did not like that movie. It's just a little too weird for me. I don't get it. But, uh, and I don't understand why or how he fits into the universe. It's pretty incredible. I heard somebody talking about Avengers this week at this conference I was in in Orlando. It's amazing that you had this many characters come together for this one sort of thing. Like, that's incredible. And, and the guy was like, why did so many superheroes have to come together. Uh, I think we have a slide of all of them. Yeah, there they all are. Awesome. Uh, And so you get this vast, uh, diverse, capable heroes all coming together to defeat one great enemy, uh, which is Thanos, uh, sans Infinity Stone here. Like, boo Thanos. Don't let my children hear it. They think Thanos is amazing. Carson and I even talked about why Thanos is such a compelling uh, character in our culture. Hang on, i got to move through. Uh, but man, like a lot of people love Thanos. He died. We'll put him right there. Um, they all come together because they have this enemy that is so great that not one of them could defeat him on their own. Like, And as believers, there's such a strong parallel. And Carson and I were talking about why these movies are so popular. And I think that's a lot of it is these are superheroes and yet vulnerable and they have to get together to defeat an enemy that they can't beat by themselves like they can't beat and that is our story like even though Jesus has defeated the enemy Satan uh, and even though man God has gifted every one of us and uh, God calls us his masterpiece and God sees tremendous value in every one of us at the same time um Man, like we have a common enemy who is a lot for us to try to take down on our own. 
And we need to be an interdependent people. And so today we're going to talk about how the church, like our church, the lowercase c, Christ Church Charlestown, and also the capital C church, like every believer on planet Earth who follows Jesus is a vast and diverse people who has to come together to defeat a great enemy. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Romans 12. We're going to look at six verses in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, want to grab a paper Bible. In the small print, it's page 552. In the large print, it's page uh, 1049. We're in the middle of a series where we're crossing illustrations here. We're going from uh, Avengers over to this basketball series. And so we're in the middle of a series called The Gospel According to Coach Wooden. I was watching a documentary last night about Coach Wooden. John Wooden was born, uh, I believe, in the 19-teens, and he lived until he was, or the early 20s, and he lived until he was 99 years old. He was married to his wife for 63 years. Pretty incredible. It was his high school sweetheart. Uh, They got married right after college, and he became a high school basketball coach, during which time he developed this thing called the Pyramid of Success. Uh, On the table back there, there are six copies of this book, Coach Wooden's Pyramid of Success, and Early on, I think it's uh, right after the introductions, you see the Pyramid of Success. We may even have a slide of the Pyramid of Success. It's 15 building blocks uh, that talked about how to get the most out of a team, but also it's a lot about just how you live your life and, uh, and how a good life is to be lived. And so we're not going to go through all 15 building blocks because there's also mortar on the edges, but we're going to go through a couple of them that I think are really timely for us as a church. Today we're going to be looking at building block number four, cooperation, if we can. And here's how he defines cooperation. I think it's the next slide, if you will, Scott. Cooperation, he, he has in three ideas. He says, cooperation occurs with all levels of coworkers. Listen if you want to be heard. Be interested in finding the best way, not in having your own way. Be interested in finding the best way, not in having your own way. I think it's such a... Um, man, that's powerful. Like how many organizations, you, some of you work for huge companies and for startups and for schools. How many organizations is, does it seem like sometimes someone wants to have their way rather than getting the best way? And so you end up just kind of being a cog in the machine. Uh, and I've been part of that and I've been guilty of leading that organization at times, to be honest. So, but finding the best way not having your own way. It took Coach Wooden at UCLA 16 years to win his first national championship. But then after they won the first, they won 10 out of the next 12. We watched as a family yesterday, Glory Road. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's a Disney movie uh, on Disney+. Plus. It's about the 1966 Texas Western basketball team, uh, which was the first time that five African-American players uh, all competed on the court in an NCAA tournament game, and then they won the national championship with seven African-Americans playing in the game while the coach consciously made a decision to uh, sit the five white players on the bench to make the statement and culture that that it could be done. And so 1966, that was one one year, and there was one other year when UCLA got upset by the University of Houston. But other than that, from the mid-60s to the mid-70s, they won every national championship, sans two in a 12-year window. And cooperation was one of the most fundamental building blocks of what they were doing. And I think it's uh, super fundamental for us as a church as well. So let's read Romans 12, 3 through 8, if we can, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. Actually, let's, read, let's start in verse 12, uh, verse 1, excuse me, verse 1 of chapter 12, because I think these are two of the most powerful verses in the Bible. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's discipleship. It's following Jesus. Just presenting your life, body, mind, soul, heart, uh, to God as a living sacrifice. It's not going to church or knowing a bunch of Bible verses or giving money or serving. It's presenting ourselves fully to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I know we're not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be preaching this part, but that word conform, some of you have probably heard this before, is like the idea of a cookie cutter. And so, you know, we always made Christmas cookies at our house. There was a bell, an angel, a snowflake, a, uh, or a snowman, and a few other things, right? And so whatever that cookie cutter pumped out, that's what we had. Uh, listen, Paul says to the church at Rome, don't be conformed. Don't be cut out of the world's pattern, but be transformed. That word is the word uh, that describes like what happens when a caterpillar goes to being a butterfly. Be transformed. Be uh, totally changed. Same thing, totally different. We're to be transformed by the gospel and the good news of the gospel, by the renewing of our mind, changing our thinking. Now in verse 3, here's where we go for today. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God's assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function, so though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness." So I think there's three things I want us to see real quickly in this. And, uh, and if we have some time, I kind of want to talk back about this at the end, if we might. Uh, he encourages them to think rightly or think soberly. Uh, and I think in that, when, with, uh, as it relates to cooperation and operating as a body, the church is a body. So often church can become this very transactional sort of thing. One, one thing I heard people talking about this week is that we're to operate in circles, not in rows. And so the best time sometimes that our faith is getting fleshed out here on Sunday is when we're congregating around the table or just talking beforehand. How was your week? What's going on? How was your faith? To think rightly, to think soberly uh, as it relates to cooperation and working together, a couple things are important. Uh, one is just remembering that Paul is saying, you're not more important than everybody. This doesn't seem to be a huge issue in this church, and certainly not a huge issue in this particular church here. But Paul reminds us, because we always have this tendency to think uh, more about ourselves or less about ourselves, but we're constantly thinking about ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm constantly wondering, like, oh man, I wonder what uh, Alicia thinks about da-da-da-da-da, or I wonder what Michaela thinks about or Jamie thinks about. The truth is, odds are, you guys are thinking about yourself just as much as I'm thinking about myself. We all tend to be self-conscious. It's not because we're so proud. We just tend to think about ourselves a lot. And so Paul says, think soberly about yourself, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. You're not, none of us is more important than the other one in here. At the same time, none of us is less important than the other one in here. Some of us have tremendous inferiority complexes. 
And the good news of the gospel is it levels the playing field for every single one of us. So we're all the same. So whoever walks through that door uh, over the course of the next 30 minutes or whatever, or on any given Sunday, or whoever comes to the ice skating thing, whoever you see at your work, no one is more important than or less important than anyone else in God's economy. Jesus died for all of us. This is a powerful statement that God's had on my heart lately. But Jesus also died for each of us. He died for all of us. And it's easy to think, oh, Jesus loves me because he loves all of us. Totally true. But Jesus loves each of us too, from the youngest to the oldest. And so we matter to God enough that he would sacrifice his son. In that, we're called to humility. The best definition of humility I've ever heard is it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And that comes from renewing our mind. Humility is beginning to think about ourselves less, and that is a discipline. If I get inconvenienced, if my day doesn't go like I want, if I feel endangered or threatened, there's something in me that feels the need to lash out. And on the days where I'm thinking about myself constantly and amping it up, and I think this is, hopefully it's true for you too, and I'm not the only terrible person in here who needs grace, like, as we think about ourselves more, then the, the more we're threatened or inconvenienced, the, the harder we lash out. The harder we lash out. And so Paul is calling us to humility. The gospel calls us to think of ourselves less, to put others first, and to put Jesus first in all things. Which leads to the first idea that I think we see in this, um, in, in this text. And that is that everyone matters. For cooperation to work, there has to be the baseline agreement that every single person matters. Every person who ever walks through the door of our church matters. Every person we pass on the street matters. We can think of uh, our workplaces, our families. Uh, I can certainly think of it as, as, as with our church sometimes as almost like an, an organization that has to operate smoothly. If, like in our house, if everybody doesn't do their role, things get crazy fast. Like, I hope none of you come to my house this afternoon. If you do, you're going to see little piles of papers everywhere. Because I was gone for part of the week, and like Nat checked the mail. So there's a pile of church mail. And then there is some like church stuff over in this corner. So there's like 18 little piles of stuff right now that have got to be addressed. Because I haven't been doing my thing. And uh, so it just... It's easy to treat relationships like organizations and even a church like that. Cooperation calls us to remember that everybody matters and everything matters and we all have to do our part. Second thing, in 4 through 5, Paul says, For as in one body we have many members and the members don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Here are the ideas around the idea of oneness. We have one Savior. We have one body and one family. We have one shared common value. Everybody is equally valuable. In a church, everybody's equally valuable. Some people like to talk and be up front. Some people don't. Some people like to lead. Some people like to follow and serve from behind. Some people like to, uh, they have louder, more boisterous personalities. Some don't. Kayla, uh, I thank God for her. We were talking, Nat and I were talking about her yesterday in the car. She never cares to be seen or heard. She just wants to do the ministry that God has called her here to do, and she does it incredibly well. Um, that's in, that is so powerful. When you see quiet people, it's easy almost to think that we forget that they have equal value. 
Here's the thing on Kayla. Let me ask a question. I was thinking about this the other day. Can anybody remember the last time she was able to be in here on a Sunday morning? Can't even remember. Was it a month? Has it been that recent? Well, that's good. We need to, like, it's required. Cooperation is required so that because everyone has value, but some are quieter and more behind the scenes. We've got to make sure that everyone understands they have equal value and they come to the table and they need to be ministered to and do ministry and be encouraged. We have one Savior, one body, and one value. We are one. I am part of you. This is a slide. I think this will be the second big idea. Everyone matters and we are one. I am part of you. I've watched people leave uh, churches and then nobody noticed they were gone for months. That's a crappy feeling, isn't it? If you come and no one talks to you, that's a like, that's not good. We are one. We are part of one another. I'm telling you, when some of you have slipped away and had little seasons, people have asked me about you all the time. And sometimes I'll say, why don't you call them? Here's their number. Go find them. It's not my job. It is my job. But it's your job just as much as it's my job because we are one and we're all part of one another. When you're not here, it affects the body. We are one body together. We're all part of Christ. He is the head. Cooperating churches look like a ballet. Some of you know Juliana. She comes uh, to our church occasionally. She also goes to a church in uh, Brookline primarily. She comes over here about once every couple months just to serve. And... um, she works for one of the larger ballet companies, I believe Boston Ballet, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right, Michaela? Yeah. And so she got us tickets at Christmas to go see the Nutcracker, which was incredible. It's amazing to watch those people performing. Their bodies are perfect. Like, they get their bodies to do things that look like poetry. It looks like art. For me, not so much. We have Fortnite dance competitions at our house, and uh, it's where the kids like list all the Fortnite dances, they put them in a hat and then they draw them out. My role in that is to judge. My kids don't want to see me dancing. Like I will tear an ACL trying to do the Fortnite dances. It's not poetry. It looks like Elaine on Seinfeld. Remember where Elaine was dancing and she was real like herky-jerky? That's me. It's not ballet. When a church, when the people of God are operating as one, it looks like art and poetry and ballet. When it's not... When the body is not operating as one, it's wonky and there's no rhythm to it and there's no beauty to it. We're made to cooperate as one body, not some robotic what organization. We are one. Cooperation's a must. It's where Wooden said, with all level of co-workers. Everybody who walks through here is important. Noah is going to go with me next month. Or in May, I've got to go to Ohio to meet with one of our partner churches and, uh, and he's going to go with me on that trip. And I pray for all of you uh, by name so often. And sometimes I, I don't pray for my kids within the context of our church quite like I pray for you within the context of our church and the kingdom. And man, what if the strongest Christian that ever comes out of our church is living under the roof of my house and it's not me? What if it's one of my boys? And so I need to treat my kids Like, they are such an important part of the body of Christ because they've been baptized, they're followers of Jesus, and they matter. If you are part of the body of Christ, we are all one and part of one another. And even though we have different roles, uh, we are called to the same level of maturity. We have the same level of value to Jesus as one. Now, look at 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us. Let's use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, when I hear prophecy, I'm going to go through these one by one if you don't care. When I hear prophecy, I think of uh, Whoopi Goldberg and the movie Ghost. Remember that? Almost like a soothsayer, someone who's telling the truth, like telling the future. When the Bible talks about prophecy, it's not talking about telling the future. When the Bible talks about prophecy, it's a prophet is one who hears a word from God and delivers it to God's people. And so preaching, what we're doing right now, is prophecy. There should be, during the course of the week, me trying to hear from God and deliver that to you. At the same time, though, if you're talking with one another and you encourage one another and say, man, I just feel like God wants me to share this with you. Natalie, this week, um, there's a family that visits our church sometimes, occasionally. Sean and Michelle, uh, Sean Lee and Michelle Gibbons. Do you know them? They have Danny and Regan. And uh, Michelle had a little nephew who passed away this week. He was five months old. And they hadn't, Sean and Michelle hadn't told the kids uh, about it yet. Regan has a, tr- a huge heart. If you ever get to interact with Regan, she's one of the sweetest children you'll ever meet. And, um, and so today they were supposed to go to a party for the little baby. He was doing really well. His health was improving. It had been on the calendar for a month when he passed away really unexpectedly this week. And, uh, and Regan yesterday texted Natalie because she's got her little cell phone. She and Natalie text. And she just texted like a crying emoji and said, I'm really sad today. She had found out. They told her Saturday because this was coming up tomorrow. And, uh, and Natalie encouraged her back with scripture. Just say, like she was like, I want to tell this little girl how much God loves her and how much God loved that little baby and how they are not forgotten in this situation. That's prophecy. It's taking what God says and delivering that word to people. Then Paul goes on. He says, if it's service, uh, exercise your giftedness in serving. Uh, some of you are masters at this. You do things that nobody ever has to tell you. This is the word deacons. If you've ever heard of the word uh, deacon in a church, the role of deacon. I grew up in churches where the deacons operated like a board. Uh, this is, that is not the biblical word or the biblical use of that idea. A deacon in the Bible is just one who's really good at serving. It means a table waiter. And so serving, if you've got the gift of serving, then serve. If you've got the gift of teaching, then teach. If you've got the gift of exhortation or encouraging, pulling the best out of one another, do that. If you have uh, the gift of giving or contributing, then give generously. We're all, as Christians, called to give, but some people really excel in this. I've known people who have learned to live on 80% of their income or 70% of their income. I've even known people who learn to live on 50% of their income and then they give the rest away because they have that gift of generosity. They can do more than the baseline in serving. Then he goes on, the one who leads, lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. I think about Barb on this and just how Barb has a heart that is bigger than mine by 100 times. And man, she's just so gifted and loving people and letting them know how loved they are. Man, that is uh, such a gift. Whatever God has gifted you toward, use that gift. And here's the truth. Look at me. If you hear nothing else today, understand everyone is gifted somehow. When you became a believer, God gifted you supernaturally with gifts that he intends as part of his body to help the body operate uh, the best. And so we're different people. With different gifts, this, role, this list is not exhaustive, by the way. 
uh, and we have different roles. We're all meant to perform that role. No one is meant to be a consumer. And so the third idea in the text is that we're unique. We're one, everyone matters, but we're unique. Each one of us has a gift that if you leave the, if you totally walk away from the faith, the body of Christ is worse off. It's worse off. And so here's the biggest idea. If you want to snap a photo of the screen, I think this would be the one today. If you'll go to the next slide, Scott. If you want to go faster in life, go alone. If you want to go further in life, go together. If you want to go faster, go alone. If you want to go further, go together. We need to go further, and we do that in cooperation. Uh, which, when you don't, when we don't collectively exercise our giftedness, I think five things happen. It stifles our cooperation. If we're not, uh, if not everyone's exercising their gifts, it stifles cooperation. It hinders mission. It overworks the minority. In other words, the few people who are serving end up getting burned out. It, it underworks you. You have muscles that you were meant to exercise spiritually, but you're not exercising. And we become consumers and babies, and it gets easier to leave when you're not doing anything. And then we never reach our potential. But here's what happens when we all do something, when we're all cooperating and serving together. There's ownership. There's ownership. This is my church. This is my family. This is my uh, workplace. There becomes ownership when we cooperate together. There's energy. The most energy I ever saw in a church was in this church. Uh, it was the first church I worked in. It only lasted for about three months. But the church was on the same page in a way. It was a church of about 200 people. They were on the same page in a way I'd never seen before. And you would walk into the, you would walk into the worship area on a Sunday morning, and you could feel an energy that it went away after three months. It was so bizarre, but you could feel it. Uh, it was incredible. And I think that happens when everyone is exercising their gifts together. It's a witness because there comes ex exponential growth and power with cooperation. And then potential becomes reality with Jesus getting maximum glory. And so we are all meant to cooperate together, even the ones not here who call this their church, not just on Sundays, but in all things. I think we have a slide for this. God has shaped you uh, for mission and ministry. Probably 25 years ago, a guy named Rick Warren, who started one of the larger churches at one point in America, wrote a book that, uh, it, other than the Bible, I think ended up becoming the most purchased or read book in human history. It was called The Purpose Driven Life. Before he did that, when he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. And in The Purpose Driven Church, he talked about how everyone is shaped for mission and ministry, and that's an acronym. And so he says everyone who is a believer gets a spiritual gift. Everyone gets a gift from God that's intended to serve God's mission and ministry in the world. Everyone has heart. There's things you love. There's things you don't love. I think about Amy Nichols. Her passion was, uh, was animals. She was super, like her heart, she loved animals. Had God left them here rather than moved to Florida, I could see Amy using that passion to reach out to dog owners and build relationships with them around the idea of the gospel as a platform to build relationships and share the gospel. Wayne loved uh, guitars. If you ever watch Wayne, after worship, he would always come up. If there was a music, he would come up and just look at the guitar. I wish we would have invited him to play. They were only coming for a couple of months before they moved. But everybody has heart. You all have things you love and that you're passionate about and that get you going. Uh, everyone, uh, shape, S-H-A, abilities, things you're good at, things you're not good at, P, personality, 
introvert, extrovert, people per, like people person, task person, all those things, personality, and then E is experiences, what you've been through. This is a, the person who was, um, who like lost a child. The moment that we kind of bring that before the Lord, God will so often turn that to where we get to talk about that as a witness. I had an eating disorder when I was in college. I can't tell you for 10 years after that how many people I ran into who had a similar story, and it would give me a chance to talk about God releasing them from that and them beginning to walk in victory and freedom. Even the good stuff, like knowing how to build a business, God has given you experiences that are unique to you. Everybody is uniquely shaped for mission and ministry. And there's not a test you can take on that. I think the best thing is to start studying your Bible and then just say to people, how do you think I'm shaped? What do you think God wants me to do to serve his kingdom and to serve this world? I'd love to see us, even in community group this week, just sit and have a frank discussion about how God has shaped one another to serve him and his kingdom. God did not create PhDs to run lemonade stands. Some of you are insanely gifted and and we need to figure out how we can best help uh, embody the kingdom of Jesus in this community. So here's one thing that's been sticking in my mind lately. With all these young African-American and Hispanic guys coming to our church during the fall, those guys are going to end up taking out student loan debt that they will be under forever if they graduate from high school and then go on to college. Because most of them aren't going to play for scholarships. What if we had a, fig- a way to figure out how to help them get into college and not have to pay for so much of this student loan debt that everyone in our country is crumbling under? Like, what a service to God's kingdom. If when someone hits ninth grade and they begin to play on the ninth grade and JV basketball team, if we've got a plan that's going to help walk with them through their academics, through their athletics, uh, and even with them through their finances, so when they get, get to college age, if they want to go, it doesn't cost them their future. That's things the kingdom should be doing. In Texas, I think I've shared this before, do you know where they build prisons? In Texas, they build prisons wherever you have schools with the highest concentration of kids who can't read at a third grade level. If you can't read by the time you're in third grade, the odds are that you will drop out of high school. And the statistics on kids who can't read by third grade who end up in prison They parallel one another. So Texas figured it out, and they decided, we're just going to start building prisons where kids can't read because that's where they're going to end up. And uh, the state we moved here from found that out, and so they began a program statewide, all churches, all denominations, of mentoring kids, especially having men go in with boys at the school they would background check them and everything and they would read i had a kid he was a neighbor and our he lived two houses up from us and every week i would go to his school and he had to read to me for 30 minutes because our state learned that if kids couldn't read they would go to prison i mean just it's a it's a fact and so you know what happened in south carolina that number began to come down because so many people were mentoring actually the number went up the reading and literacy rates began to go up in South Carolina. The kingdom was changing. That's not, you know, setting up tables. That's like affecting destinies and changing communities. And God has shaped us to do some of that. Now, I've got to make a quick confession, and then we'll bring this into the barn. There are a lot of times in our church in the last three years, two years, where I've hoarded things and not 
empowered you to serve at the level that you're capable of for two reasons. One, I didn't want to burden you because I know you're really busy. And I didn't, I felt like, man, if you can be, this is my full-time job, so if I can be doing ministry and you don't have to and you can be being a mom, a dad, a coworker, a friend, a coach, then that's good. But also, also, honestly, some of the me not letting you do ministry has been out of fear. But if I asked you to do too much, you would leave. And, uh, and I struggle with fear of abandonment. Like, that's one of my big sin struggles. And so there are times where I just didn't ask you to do enough. And, uh, and the Lord is dealing with me about that. And I want to ask you to do more. And I want to ask that we cooperate and we get to a place where everyone is doing something so that we can become all God would have us be and reach our full potential. And so I wrote down, I think, four areas. If you'll go to the next slide. There are things that need to be done on Sundays that currently aren't being done. Um, I know today's a weird day because of time change. There's not as many people here. But there's always needs for help with setup. We've got that down almost to a science now. I want to get to a place in the next couple of years. I love the time with Renee. But I want to eventually farm that out where I just get to walk in on Sunday and preach. Uh, I love the time with him. I want to get here a little bit early, just encourage everybody and pat, and pat everybody on the back. But my soul will be in a better place if I'm not having to do that every week, honestly. We need to get some of that offloaded. Tear down. We need to get that offloaded. Drew was a machine. He's got an offer on a job to move back, so he'll move back next January. But here's a kid doing a two-month residency internship in Boston and help with teardown every week. And uh, we need to get better. We need to get to where there's about six people doing teardown so it doesn't all fall on Renee. We get it down here, meet him, get it into the closet, and uh, that would be helpful. We need more people working in kids. Um, we need to get where there's an efficient system on that. And Kayla and Natalie aren't doing it every single week. Uh, and they do. They do it almost every single week. We need to get a little bit tighter and have more people serving in that area. We need to have people greeting. We're about to go back down to the uh, gym as the weather gets warmer. I love that. I'm ready to go back. But it's a little confusing when you walk up and know exactly where to go. In a non-awkward way, we need to have a couple of people who are greeting people saying, hey, go here. Any questions? Show where kids go. We need to help people, somebody to help do that. It's pushing a button. It's not rocket surgery, as my brother says. But we need to farm that out. We need people doing that. Last week, Barb said, I'm sick. I can't be here. And so uh, I went and did it. But we don't even have a pipeline for stuff like that. We need to get better at that. Weekly, we need people in groups. And we also need more people saying, hey, I'll host a group. I don't want to lead a small group, but I'll host one. There's a young woman uh, who said, like, weeknights are really difficult for her to be in a small group. So we want to try to figure out how to have one on Saturday or Sunday. We need a, pray, like a team of people who are praying for specific needs in our church. So it's not just me. I want to share those things. Like I was praying for your dad this week and some, uh, your request you shared a couple of weeks ago. You need a lot of people praying for those things. Uh, weekly, we need, I want to offload taking photos and social media. I do all of that. I don't want to do all of that. I like doing it. It's fun. But I need to be doing better things than that. And so some of you are super gifted in that. You need to offload the website. I don't even know what I'm doing with that, but I do a lot of it. Ongoing stuff. We want to make sure that that area, that people's first impressions from the, the moment they pull up to the moment they get in here, everything is super smooth. 
And uh, I was thinking about Lana because she does a part of this. And she's so gifted in administrative things and just making things look good. We want to make sure that that is going really well. Baptism, we need to be doing more baptisms and making sure that those are, uh, if you've never seen one, we're having it Palm Sunday. It's really fun. There's a massive horse trough. And uh, I get here and set that up with a couple of folks, right? I want to farm that out where, some, where people who are passionate about that are making sure that whole experience is going well. Even sermon prep. Some of you are more creative than I am. Carla, I think about you on this. Carla is super creative. I'd love once a quarter to say, over the next three months, here's the sermons I'm preaching. Would you like to just give me input? Are these illustrations too corny? Are they this? Are they that? And get you to help me prepare the messages for our church. And then we're having Mark Smith come in a couple of weeks. I want to see one person just adopt Mark and his church in Ireland and make sure that we're encouraging them, resourcing them, helping them however we can until eventually one day we'll have elders and deacons and disciple makers and a worship team and maybe even people who will go out and plant churches together. We've got to find the best ways together, not just having it our own way. And I'm the number one person who's been guilty of that. Not wanting to burden you. I haven't created an environment, a cooperation. And I'm sorry and I ask your forgiveness, but we've got to get to a place where there's 30 people, 40 people who are running in their lane, exercising their giftedness on Sundays and during the course of the week. My wife makes the best chocolate chip muffins of all time. They're unbelievable. I love it when I wake up and she's like, I'm making chocolate chip muffins. I never want to ask for them, but if I eat chocolate chip, her chocolate chip muffins twice a week, I would be just fine with that. It's like eating chocolate chip cake for breakfast. It's fantastic. It's going to be a good day when you start with that. There's been a few times where she forgot to put salt in them or she forgot to put one ingredient in them. I promise you, they're not the same. And I'm eating them. I'm like, babe, this is good. This is great. All right, right? You miss one ingredient, the whole thing tastes completely different. You miss two ingredients, it's a total disaster. Like there's been a couple times where she left out the salt and we didn't have enough chocolate chips. Sweet chocolate chips will cover a lack of salt, a lack of, like everything's forgiven by chocolate. You leave two ingredients out and you got a mess on your hands, right? This is how the body ought to operate. Every ingredient matters. Every person matters. We can go faster alone, but we can go further together. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to receive communion. If you don't have a basketball, make sure you take a basketball. I want you to put it in your house somewhere over the next month just to remind yourself, hopefully, that you are a part of Team Jesus and this church's team. Uh, And I'm going to call you to a couple things uh, as we go take communion. You had your connection card in your chair. If you're not serving or you're not serving at the level that you feel like God would have you serve uh, his kingdom, I think on the connection card there's a box that says serving. Just check that box. Over the course of this week, I'm going to text you or email you, and I want us to begin a conversation to explore your shape and what God would have you do to serve his kingdom. You're not serving me. You're not serving our church. You're serving Jesus and exercising the gifts he gave you. The second thing I want to encourage you toward is, and we'll be talking about this for the next three weeks, if you've never been dunked, that's the first step that Jesus calls us to is baptism. And so if you are part of his family, but you've never done that, like the first sign that you're on Team Jesus is that you would do that. And so I think that's a box on your connection card as well. Let me pray, and then we will prepare to receive communion.